0: Well, here I am, spending the next few weeks talking about parables. And I'm going to start by telling you today that parables are really hard to talk about. Almost impossible to to dissect. It seems to me that the more you talk about these little stories with big messages about God, the smaller they become. It reminds me, if you've ever been on a mission trip, like what our youth are about to experience in the coming week, and somebody and you get home from the trip and it's been amazing. And someone says, Well, tell me about your trip, how was it? And you say, It was awesome. It was great. But no matter what words you say, it just seems to fall short because some things you just have to experience. You had to be there to be changed by it. And our I hope this week as our youth head to Memphis and work in these community nonprofits and meet and worship with other Christian churches from around the area, that uh, they are changed by the experience, that they do come back feeling like you had to be there just to experience it. But the more I talk about these parables, I fear in some ways the smaller they can become because this story today has a big message about God and who God is. And in chapter 24, Matthew, where we are today, really begins a passage of teaching on from Jesus where he is focusing on preparation and being ready. In fact, just before our parable, he says, Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. And then in verse 45, he begins this parable. Who then is the faithful and wise slave whom his master has put in charge of his household to give other slaves their allowance of food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master will find at work when he arrives. Truly I tell you, he will put that one in charge of all his possessions. But if that wicked slave says to himself, My master is delayed," and he begins to beat his fellow slaves, and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour that he does not know. And he will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. First of all, let's acknowledge the brutal imagery here of being cut to pieces and put with hypocrites. Yikes. I'm sure you can imagine a few people you wouldn't want to be beside, the hypocrites around us. The stakes are high in this story. We get it, Jesus. This is a strong image. The master goes away, leaves a certain slave or servant in charge. He's supposed to give them their allowance each day for food at a certain schedule. And yet, that's not what happens. The wicked slave says, Hey, my master's not here. He said he was going to be back Tuesday. Here it is Thursday. It's time to party it up, everybody. Except party for everybody is not what he does. It's all about him. It's him. He abuses his power. He spends his time uh, eating and drinking all day, and when the master finally shows up, he's surprised. He's shocked, and he's in trouble. Reminds me, growing up back in the dark ages, before cell phones, when someone would leave and was on a journey, you wouldn't know they were gonna arrive till they just pulled into your driveway. You had to look out the window, y'all. We, could, we didn't have text messages, we didn't have GPS. We didn't have Google Maps to tell us when traffic was arriving. It was a dark, dark age, friends. We just had to sit and look out the window to know when someone was coming home. And I don't know, I know it wasn't, couldn't have been every time, but in my memory, it seems like when my parents finally decided that my brothers and I were old enough to stay by ourselves, that um, they would leave us with some sort of to-do list, either clean your rooms while we're gone, Finish your homework, do the dishes, some sort of to-do list and a little threat that it should be done by the time they get back. And as soon as they left, and I was the oldest supposedly in charge, my brothers did not respect my authority, nobody listened to me, and pretty much nothing got done until... We saw the tires hit the driveway, and suddenly, it was like someone just yelled, the generals, all hands on deck, he's coming. And we all, we started working like synchronized dancers, moving around the house as fast as we could. And then they come to the door, and we try not to look too out of breath, and like, oh, what do you know? We're just finishing our homework here, or just putting that last dish away. We, and I think with this story, What Jesus is trying to let us know is that if we wait till the master's car tires hit the driveway to be doing what we're supposed to be doing, we're in trouble. Some lessons we learn the hard way. This wicked servant gives us lessons of what not to do. I was thinking this week what the lessons might be from this wicked servant who abuses his power, who's shocked when the master arrives. And it occurs to me that one of the first things we can learn from this wicked servant is that he acts like he's the one in charge. He starts acting like he owns the place and he doesn't. He's just a caretaker. He's just a servant like all the rest. It comes back to our own sense of stewardship as caretakers of our stuff, of our money, of god's beautiful creation and earth we as the church we act like it's ours that it belongs to us when we're just caretakers i remember a certain sort of uncomfortable committee meeting years ago where um a new member was suggesting something new that we would never done before in our church it was actually quite a lovely idea And people generally were open to this new idea from this new member, except one lady in the room, she just really did not like the idea. And what she kept repeating in the meeting was, um, well, we've never done things like this at my church, or I've just never pictured this at my church. And she must have said my church in 10 different ways during that meeting. And don't get me wrong, I use the phrase my church all the time. I love my church, I invite people to my church, but at the end of the day, it really isn't my church, is it? It doesn't belong to us. This wicked servant is showing us what not to do because he's pretending that the master's space is his and his alone, and he is just a caretaker for just a little while. The second example of what not to do is that as soon as the master doesn't show up on Tuesday as he expects him, all bets are off. This wicked servant is pretty wicked. He's abusive to his fellow servants. He's reckless with his life and his master's money. He's the very opposite of what we think a Christian should be, a mindful of that upper room on that faithful night with Jesus and his disciples, just before he was betrayed by one of his own, just before he was arrested, what did Jesus spend his time doing? Did he lecture them? Did he say, you're all about to let me down and disappoint me? Did he call out Judas and give him a piece of his mind? No. He washed feet. He washed their feet one by one. He took a towel... And a bowl of water, and he washed their dirty, tired feet. He did what a servant does. He did what a slave does. Jesus gives us a model of ministry that is the exact opposite of who this wicked servant is. He takes on the role of a servant. After all, Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve, and to offer my life as a ransom for many. If you ever wonder If someone is leading like Christ, if you ever wonder what the church should do or be about, or if you wonder in your own life about what you should do, just ask yourself, does it look like Jesus in that upper room? Does it look like Jesus and what he does? He offered us a model of ministry, and it's one of servanthood. Jesus washed feet. One of my favorite preachers once wrote, Nothing strikes us as so unbecoming a follower of Christ, as arrogance, as the pursuit of position and power, as the desire to be served rather than to serve. Jesus gives us a ministry of servanthood when he washes their feet. Finally, the third lesson that I think we could learn from this wicked servant, The master was delayed. And so this wicked servant decides he's going to live it up. And when the master finally shows up, he's surprised. He's caught off guard. He didn't expect him when he showed up. I remember a conversation I had with a friend of mine who was given a very life-altering diagnosis that would actually take her life, and she knew it. And she was talking to me about this one day and she told me that she had come to see her diagnosis as a gift. She said, I treasure every squeal of laughter I hear from my kids now. And I can sit on my back porch and just have coffee in the morning with my husband and to hear the birds sing and it is an absolute precious gift. And she said, and I tell everybody I love you now. I don't, I tell everybody I don't leave anything unsaid. I tell everyone I love you. It's like suddenly this diagnosis was helping her to see her life and our lives as they are. For the very first time, she was seeing clearly that our life is a gift, a precious gift of today. We are so quick to say, tomorrow. One day, next year, I'm going to do it. And she knew. She knew that all we actually have is today. And she was so grateful for the gift that it put everything else in her life in focus. And so I think what I'm really trying to say here today Is that the third lesson I think we could all learn from that wicked servant who's surprised at his master's arrival is that it's simply later than we think. It's later than we think. Amen.